Welcome back, everybody. I have the distinct honor and a privilege to welcome uh, two gentlemen that are trying to do something about the cyberbullying culture that we have that's unfortunately prevalent in our society. I know we're a show about acting, and certainly you will recognize Mark Pellegrino, who we've seen on everything for, for a number of years now. Andrew Rasso is an attorney. So uh, please welcome both to the program, and I want to talk to you about the Guardian Project. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's my pleasure, guys. And um, again, you know, I, I am not at any position of uh, uh, being of fame or any level where I get uh, I get a lot of haters. I've been called a clown a few times, but it's it's really kind of uh, these isolated incidents that I chuckle uh, about. But for someone, you know, Mark, uh, you you certainly have a following. People know you. Uh, people think that they know you just because they see you on their screens. And they think that that somehow gives them permission to uh, to treat you as somebody who they can reach out to and say, you know, things that are not uh, not appropriate. So, how did the Guardian Project start for both of you? Well, I just want to say I don't I don't know that it's necessarily a celebrity status and their familiarity with me as a character that mm -hmm. they see on television that gives them the quote unquote authority to come and attack me. I think it's actually the way in which they view the world that makes them think they can come attack me with impunity. I think increasingly we see people who view the world as uh, as being composed of dominance structures and hierarchies of dominance. And if you are perceived to be an, in, at the top of the hierarchy of dominance, those who are underneath you think they have all the right in the world to attack you as viciously as they want because they're, they're sort of under the... I, I, willful uh, delusion that it doesn't hurt you. You're you're quote unquote too big to hurt. So if they take away one or two job opportunities, that doesn't mean that uh, they're not taking away all of your job opportunities down the road. Um, mm -hmm. So I think they're I think they're functioning from a, a sort of uh, mass psych a sort of neurosis slash psychosis um, where they're certainly delusional about relationships between people and they think that gives them the authority to hurt others. That said, I mean, having been the victim of successive waves of of, uh, of not just bullying, but uh, libels um, and false narratives that that get a lot of purchase within in the fandom uh, when people don't bother to look up, do their due diligence and see whether or not what, what's being said is true. Um, I just decided after after having uh, multiple waves of these things and watching the pylons that uh, something had to be done about it. And so that's what inspired me to do it. It was actually the, the real brainchild was uh, was a small group of fans who decided to circle the wagons around me during one of uh, the more vitriolic, uh, disgusting episodes. One fan in particular, is, uh, she's not really a fan, she's just uh, somebody who happens to be in my feed uh, sort of a, joked that she was my bodyguard and out of that came the idea of the guardians and that sort of became an ad hoc sort of informal group of folks that decide to circle the wagons around people um, who are being victimized um, and then we just and andrew and i uh, met up through me doing a a, a cameo for his uh, cyberbite anti-bullying uh, project and uh, then we we had a interview and then uh, a long talk afterwards and discovered that we had such similar backgrounds, even though I'm an old dude and he's a young dude. And uh, But so so many similar experiences, we, we decided that uh, it was just serendipity. We had, to, we had to get together and see if we could do something about this epidemic problem out there. And right now I am being attacked mercilessly by many of the waves of people who first attacked me in 2017. They're now coming out from under the the woodworks, uh, it, all the light has flushed them out into the open and now they're trying to actually take down our Kickstarter as we speak. Not nice. Uh, that's no. that's the, you know, the nicest thing that I can say about it. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm literally in between you two and I'm, I'm also in between the two of you age-wise. <laughs> uh, Mark, <laughs> you and I are the same month, uh, just 10 years apart. Um, so, You're in Aries? Uh, I'm a Taurus. I'm, I'm the late April. You're in early. Right um, And Andrew, I, I don't know what uh, what month you were born uh, and what, what month is it? December 13. I'm a uh, Sagittarius. 
Hey, you're you're coming up. Happy uh, upcoming birthday to you. Thank you very very much. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends who uh, again uh, is is on the internet and just like I am, and I think you know the majority of us are. Uh, he said that it's 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 ironic to him that we live in a free society, uh, but the only way to express our opinions fully is to be in a private group, uh, which which I found very interesting and sad all at the same time. So. Um, are you comfortable sharing, Mark? You know what people are attacking you about, uh, or is sure. this outside the conversation? Sure. No, my my life is an open book, um, and I consider I consider their twists of of narrative to be that just that twists of narrative. They're not they're not true. Right. So um, most of these folks think I am a hypocrite for um, for endorsing a project like this. They think that it's a vanity revenge project. Now, if you really pay attention to those two concepts, they're diametrically opposed to each other. So the on the one hand, they're saying I'm a hypocrite because I'm a bully. On the other hand, they're saying I want revenge because I've been bullied. So it can't be it can't be both simultaneous, but they're they're okay with marrying paradoxes. That's just the way they roll. But you know, I've been I was I, I've been very open about my political beliefs, um, which smacks neither of left or right. It's it's uh, there's no actual formal um, political party that represents me. That's why I co-founded my own um, with a group of people. Um, and so as a result, uh, people on the left sort of take me as somebody on the right. People on the right take me as somebody on the left. I can't I can't be friends with anybody in the political spectrum. And so when I make my my politics known, I get attacked. From both sides for being wrong, um, but then it becomes personal, and 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 then I start to I, I at first I engaged these people through the personal attacks in an attempt to save my reputation because they began to they began to libel me. Mm -hmm. um, if I, for example, posted uh, posted something uh, defending innocent Muslims from Islamists, I was an Islamophobe. Um, and they would take pieces of long threads of tweets before I knew how to thread them together because I'm an old dude and I didn't really didn't learn how to do that till later. And that would uh, paint me as uh, anti-Islam anti or anti-Muslim as opposed to Islamicist and uh, you know against religious fanaticism and violence, which is what I was actually um, what I was actually against. And they will they'll they'll paste that as a, a sort of um, as a narrative, and then that takes purchase in the culture, as opposed to the real narrative, which was defending innocent Muslims from from violence and innocent people in general from violence. I've been I've been labeled a racist, a homophobe, um, a, a racist because I'm against racist laws and because I don't judge people by their color but by the content of their character, which nowadays is not even considered anti-racist. It's, it's considered a part of the white patriarchal hierarchical power structure, a sort of uh, a sort of white uh, uh, intentional ignorance or equilibrium, I think they call it. So it's, it's not even considered real if you think racism is an epistemological moral phenomenon. It's something that's determined, it's systemic, it's in our DNA even. And if you come out against that, which I think is I think it's a horrible way to look at, at, at human beings. You don't you rob them of moral agency when when you do that. Um, you you endow them with original sin. It's impossible to become a, a a decent human being under that metric. And when you fight against it, you are now a racist. And I can't figure out where the homophobe part comes in um, because I've always been a gay rights advocate. I have uh, I have the rainbow flag in my in my uh, proudly displayed in my profile picture, um, mm -hmm. I, the gay community has saved my life from the time I was a, a teenager who didn't fit in, uh, but found acceptance and, and love from a community that was on the outside in many ways themselves. Um, so I, and my stepson is gay. So I, I don't know exactly where that comes from. Uh, apparently I, I'm a transphobe. Uh, I had somebody uh, approach me at a at a uh, autograph signing and say, "Trans people exist, you know." And I looked up and said, "I I know that. Why are you Why are you telling me this as if it's news?" Um, and they claimed that I said trans people didn't exist. Um, uh, what What I think I said, and what I think they, 
maybe reading wrong, as I said, trans rights are individual rights. I just sort of incorporated it into the into the liberal pantheon of what uh, a right is. So you're you're trans, you're an individual, you have the rights to, uh, you have any right that any other human being in society has. So if you're for universalization of things like rights, and if you're, if you're against tribalism of any kind, I guess you sort of fall afoul of some of these folks who are really, really adept at manipulating social media narratives. And, and that's what's basically happened. And all of those charges have been answered multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, in writing, one, I apologize for because I used the R word not in, a, in one conversation, long conversation with some, an argument with somebody, not knowing that it was a, there was a slur. It was something I grew up saying stupidly. I came from a different generation. Um, and the person wasn't angry when I said it. They actually thanked me and said it was an ableist slur. And I realized that they were actually going to use that against me in the future. And they did, even though I apologized for it three times on video, multiple times on uh, on written texts and social media, and have never used that word again in argumentation, in even in private, even in mm. private discussion, in in four years, ever since I discovered, you know, how the linguistic f- landscape had changed. Mm. So uh, yeah, did that make any of that clear? I mean, it's 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 a it's a horde no. of insanity, basically. Yeah, it, it basically means that, again, everybody wants to put you in a box, uh, and it's not just you, it's all of us, right? So you're either on one side or another, there's nothing in the middle, and people, oh, they're so ready to yell at each other uh, instead of being able to listen and to actually think of what the other person is saying and whether it makes any sense at all. So it's, it's uh, I'm a poet. Um, so I, you know, when I feel something, I write it. And as a part of the writing, I used to put it on Facebook and all it would do is start civil wars. And uh, I got to a point where I do what I think I, you know, I saw Lincoln do, which is write it, but don't send it. Uh, so I write it, I kind of file it. So it becomes more of my own, you know, historical account and what it is that I was going through at that time. And then I'll look at it sometime in the future. And, and read it of what I was feeling. But I don't post these things because I know that anything, no matter how innocently it is written, is going to get picked apart and everybody's going to jump all over it. So it's, it's, a, it's a society that we live in. It's, it's interesting and strange uh, times because social media is meant to connect. Social media, um, in addition to connecting, now uh, got to a point where every nerve is exposed and we need to really kind of calm that down. But in your project, and Andrew, you know, when from a legal perspective, right, the people are going to immediately go to First Amendment rights. It is my First Amendment right to have the freedom of speech. I can say whatever it is that I want. How do you combat that type of thinking? Well, to, to add on to your, you know, conversation with Mark, we live in a society of labels. Okay. If somebody doesn't understand something, there's a label attached to it. If somebody thinks they understand something, they attach a label to it. Okay. And unfortunately, there's no escaping it. We fear what we don't understand. And when we don't understand, we label it as foreign, dangerous, uh, racist, um, violent. Um, and they have unfortunately grown so powerful that legitimate movements that are designed to do good, you know, Black Black Lives Matter, Me Too, you know, uh, Blue Lives Matter. There's so many movements out there because we as a society feel we have to to label things, to separate, to isolate. And in doing what we think is right, we're also alienating and isolating everybody else. So to your question, um, freedom of speech, very important. Social media has disrupted our fundamental understanding of what the First Amendment was initially introduced as, how it's been used, how it's been implemented. And it's presented the question of, does the First Amendment need to be extended? Does our Constitution need to be updated, modernized to the times? Because at the time it was written, it was representative of all the rights, all the philosophies, all the problems that 
at that period of time, society was aware of, facing, wanted to resolve. Now, we're in this, you know, decades later, and we're still trying to use, in my opinion, archaic law to define modernized technology, modernized issues that have come about due to resources that did not exist previously. So I think there's a very fine line of what is considered freedom of speech and what is considered um, hate speech, insightful speech. And that is where the courts come in, because you'll see in many of these cases and even, you know, in Congress, the individuals that are in positions of authority or in positions to really break down the law, help lawyers on both sides, plaintiff and defense, uh, understand it for that case, don't understand it themselves. Okay, you have people that are much older and not to offend anybody watching this or to, to you, Alan or Mark, you know, age, we all three of us come from different worlds, right? Mm -hmm. We all understand technology to an extent because of the way we have used it, but we all come from different worlds and how we interpret what Facebook is, what Instagram is, what live streaming is, is going to be different than what a judge thinks of it, right? Because of their desire to want to learn about it or just because for whatever reason it just doesn't make sense and that's okay but when you start to use your ignorance whether it's willful or not to then help influence an outcome of a case to help shape laws to be better oriented for the general public that becomes a problem because that's where weaknesses show up vulnerabilities show up and cases unfortunately are decided poorly um, I don't. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's kind of how I wanted. I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to jump in on that because here's here's where Andrew and I have some philosophical differences. So mm -hmm. for me, uh, the principles of freedom of speech are not are are, are not malleable. They're not they're not inviolable. Um, the principle is is a restraint of government force. So the government can't restrain you from speaking. Uh, but but you but property property rights and property restrain you from everything that from being just a willful person and doing whatever the heck you want so you can't come into my place and say whatever you want that's not your i i nor am i impinging you on your freedom of speech by kicking you out of my house because i don't like what you say nor do i have to give you a platform to say what you say that's not freedom of speech uh, a property right property right uh is is as sacrosanct as 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 freedom of speech in other words those are just realms of non-force realms where the government cannot impose its will on you. It can't impose its will on you in the dispensation of your property or disposal of your property, nor can it do it in, in, in what you say. However, uh, there are things that do not, in my opinion, come under uh, the category of free speech. Force and fraud. If you are threatening violence against somebody, you that is not free speech. Uh, if you are defrauding them, if you're lying, libel and slander, are spreading lies about somebody with an attempt to destroy their reputation and prevent them from carrying on a livelihood, that's objective damages. So in my view, what we need is, is an objective understanding of what rights are, uh, what they mean, and definitions of force that are objective so that people know when they're crossing the line, they are crossing the line into territory that is criminal. Hmm. So I, I don't need I don't need a political elite or a, a, a look. I mean, uh, Lysander Spooner wrote about this all the time and the power of juries to nullify laws. Common law shouldn't be indecipherable. We shouldn't need an, it, a, a, a class of a professorial class of lawyers to decipher law. Law is supposed to be there for everyone to understand what the parameters of action are when they're crossing boundaries of force, when they're doing something wrong. Anybody should be able to know what it is. So um, that's my point of view. But I, I know we differ because I come from a, a, a very different sort of uh, civil libertarian perspective on that. My Which makes it better. I mean, it makes, and that's what, you know, Alan, that's what makes what Mark and I are doing fun um, and unique because we do come from different worlds. We want the same thing, we see it in different ways. And that's a good thing because there's a lot that I can learn and do learn <clears throat> daily from Mark, from his experiences, his growing up, his understandings, 
to where, you know, if he's reading something or there's a book that he thinks is, you know, appropriate to what we're doing, he'll make that recommendation and I'll, you know, start to pick it up and, you know, look at it. We can have discussions. And I, I would like, you know, to hope that, you know, that that goes the same way. Um, but that's that's unique. And I think that's what we need is to understand and incorporate different ages and worlds together to be able to expand the world that we all think we understand, but don't. I agree. Um, now, I, I want to follow up with the enforcement and states' rights and all the other things, which we'll come back to in a minute. But uh, just for people to understand, what is the Guardian Project? What is it that you're doing? What is it that you're proposing and you're hoping to achieve by well, it's a multi-tiered project. I mean, uh, the thing that we're trying to do, that we're doing with the Kickstarter is we're funding a pitch platform um, for a, a docu-series that mm -hmm. would be sort of along the lines of uh, How to Catch a Predator or a Catfish, where you you find a, a online uh, predatory or, or predation type activity, victim victimizer activity, abusers, and you find the people that they're harming and you if you can prove objective damages on the part of the victim, you bring these these parties together and either get justice, uh, uh, two forms of justice. One is, uh, I guess you would say, retributive justice, or where 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 they are, where the victimizer has to try to make them whole under the law, or some form of uh, some form of uh, rehabilitative justice, where the victimizer agrees to a certain period of time with to be watched over, uh, to have their their uh, social media use watched over and see if they can turn over a new leaf and contribute to, to internet hygiene in a sense that they that they weren't before. So that's the crux of that aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. The other parts of it are dealing with um, universal uh, verification, splitting platforms for minors and adults. Uh, and so that minors, some of, the, some of the people who are the worst abusers online now are minors. And I wonder what their parents are doing to let them say and do the horrible things that they're doing so if we split the platform off there so that they, look they don't have they they're 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 wards of their of their parents they their parents have full responsibility for them they can't say and do everything they want to do when their parents are liable so let's make their parents liable and and let let them take responsibility for imposing rules on their children so that they don't have the freedom to abuse other people online so they can watch what they're doing on the internet, like parents are supposed to do, and with and, and adults, will, their IDs will their their some form of identification will be tied to them, so that and hopefully shared amongst social media platforms, so that a bad actor in one area can can it can alert another social media platform, and a ban is a ban. You can't just come up with a uh, a fake email and a user uh, handle and a fake picture profile picture and go on abusing people you're done you're done and that's and that's just it you know alan uh video games you know call of duty um grand theft auto people that you know when when you go online to play okay mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big call of duty fan it's been a while since I've, I've played them you know in the past year or so but typically a lot of younger kids are on it why well most of us have day jobs right we we have to work a lot of the kids play on it. Now, the problem is, is when people are on the microphone and talking, now it gets really nasty. And I mean, racially nasty to where people are using slurs, insulting you for, for no reason because you, they don't like what you're doing. So when you try to defend yourself and say, hey, you know, knock it off, you know, the way you respond, well, what happens when the person on the other side who's talking is 11 years old and it's hard to tell from their voice or whatnot but their parent walks in and says what the hell are you doing that's my child you can't speak to that isn't the response why is your 11 year old child on you know that kind of forum now let's right. switch over to social media the argument is well if somebody on twitter is you know berating you defaming you attacking you attacking you personally and somebody like mark and myself that says hey we're going to defend ourselves because of our reputation, because there's a possibility of objective harm and we defend ourselves. But what if it leads to, well, now you're now you're harassing a minor? Well, the minor initiated it. How am I supposed to know that every person is a minor? I'm not. It's an unfair burden. And that's why, you know, YouTube has created the YouTube kids 
segment, right? Because of of Alphabet and Google getting nailed for you know children inadvertently being exposed to child pornography or inappropriate advertising. Facebook has Facebook Messenger for kids. Now, I don't know if it's taken off, but it's there. So the idea is there are ways to filter not necessarily content, but to protect individuals of a demographic from seeing or being exposed to information that could cause mental, physical, and emotional harm beyond the mere, you smell funny, or I don't like your hair, right? It's, it, it, there's so much more to it. Yeah, these, and these, and sorry to interrupt, but these, these teenagers are sophisticated at what they do. It's not just that they're attacking you, they're attacking you and and linking in social media influencers to the attack. And if you fight back, I've had social media influencers say, wow, I really used to like you, but you're a grown ass man. Why are you fighting kids? Thing is, you don't know you're fighting a kid until until they start feeling assaulted. And then they say, I'm a kid. What are you doing fighting me? And then they 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 withdraw behind a private account again and, you know, and withdraw and, and or pretend like they're being hurt or harassed. They lie about fans attacking them and threatening them with death. I mean, it's it's like we're cultivating a an entire generation of sociopaths. That's the way they act. They yeah. act like sociopaths. And brands believe it, Alan. <laughs> brands believe it. So, you know, there's a client that I was working with for quite some time. And no matter what this person did to defend herself, 19-year-old girl, okay, she was a fashion uh, uh, influencer, so to speak. Uh, makeup companies, fashion brands would contact her to promote herself because she would do makeup tutorials for younger children. If your daughter wanted to look like Elsa, but not just on Halloween, but to go to school and have the makeup style, she would do that. Well, these brand partnerships would be trolled themselves with messages from random trolls, aggressors saying, she's she's transphobic she's homophobic she's anti-semitic by the way she was jewish i don't i don't know how that works but all these things and it brands, doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's the truth right but because brands don't have at oftentimes the resources or strength either in legal counsel um or they're not confident in the strength of their own brand they don't want the drama they're saying oh Wow. Uh, yeah, we're 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 done, and they will publicly part ways. So it's like, what do you what do you do? And that's that's the issue. So again, you know, my my context and my background. I'm Jewish, and I grew up in the Ukraine. Uh, I came here when I was 14. So uh, we were not religious. I, I never went to synagogue when I was there because there weren't any synagogues in my town. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember kids uh, when I was six or seven. Kids were calling me a Jew. And I didn't know what it meant. I went ran to my parents asking, why are they calling me this and what does it mean? So, and it comes from the upbringing. It comes from the parents, which is something that Mark was referencing. But you also hear, and again, you know, the, the Soviet Union with all the uh, wonderful atrocities that it went through was one of my grandfather's uh, brothers was sent to Siberia because somebody said that he was a traitor. So it was, that's the way that it was working because if you want somebody's uh, spot at work, you just uh, anonymously uh, give a tip and then that person gets whisked away uh, and their family told that they're dead. Uh, that's, that's what I came from and the history of that place. So when we're talking about something on social media, which I completely agree with you guys on, but where do we, where do we find ourselves to ensure that there is actually proper enforcement? Because we know people don't care about the truth. So how do we enforce it accurately? And how do we ensure that there is truth out there and then there is a reasonable accommodation? Uh, and then we get to the whole, you know, state's rights. You know, what is internet? You know, who controls it? You know, uh, there are a host of issues that need to be dealt with. What have you seen that works or what do you suggest that might? The problem is that anybody can come back. So even if Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and, and whoever, right. if you are suspended, it mm -hmm. is very easy 10 seconds later for me to come back, create a second variation of the handle, social media handle that I had previously, or just come back under a new handle and pick up where I left off and how will I get all my followers back? Because the trolling community knows 
that I just got kicked off. I send a message out to one of the followers and say, hey, it's me. They come back. So in my opinion, and Mark cut in at any point if, if you feel differently, verification, okay? Blue badge verification, that blue check mark that everybody wants. When it started, it was just for news networks, major news networks, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, ABC, Fox, you name it. So people could know at the time what was news and what was not. It was also for individuals like Mark, certain public figures whose name is so powerful as, as a brand, as a work portfolio, that if somebody like me were to come out of the woodwork, impersonate them to mislead their community, their followers, brands, that would create, as Mark calls it, objective harm. So they created a mechanism. The problem is that that mechanism transformed, whether purposely or not, I believe, and I think Mark, you'll agree, that it was done purposely. Uh, it transformed into a popularity contest. Why? It creates chaos. Everybody wants a blue check mark. There are people out there who, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to pause for a second. You know, me being on Instagram, and uh, of course, I'm trying to grow my network, my show. So there are people that have contacted me many times uh, trying to sell the blue check mark, which I think is ridiculous. But please go ahead. It, and you just brought up an interesting point. There mm -hmm. is, and I don't care what Facebook says, does. Mm -hmm. I know hundreds of people, A, mm -hmm. who work there that I've, I don't believe work there anymore, but there's a black market for purchasing verification across every platform. I get the same messages. I've come across people asking me for it personally. I don't do it. But the, the problem is, is it's supposed to protect. And those people that reach out asking for help, hey, I have so many imposters, not, you know, that are messaging random women. And as a film agent, um, they're using my picture, my work, and holding me out as a sugar daddy to attractive women. Help me remove those imposters. Help me by making sure that people don't follow the wrong person by indicating that check mark. There's never a response, right? Or a scenario where, hey, I'm getting bullied every day. Hateful, hateful things. I'm a school teacher. What do I do? So the people that need it don't have it. The pe a lot of people that do have it don't necessarily need that mechanism. But what everybody does need is a legitimate identification. And politics aside, the one thing I like about Parler, I don't know how familiar you are with Parler, and the community that it's building up. Parler has a, as a mechanism where every person needs to verify that they are an actual person. So an actual user, you want to come onto our platform, you want to reap the benefits of being able to post a status, to, to like something, to dislike something, to comment, to weigh in, to have mm -hmm. an opinion. You need to provide a driver's license, a passport or some form of identification so we can tie you to the system so if there ever was an issue that you know mark has described uh to that extent you can be held accountable and even if you do try to guess what come back you're not getting back on why unless you are printing out fake ids and have that ability you're not coming back on that's not being done yeah. but for yeah, so check marks we all have to use our id just to get that blue check mark yeah so i think i think universal verification is one thing look i mean having a relatively free market is a sloppy thing you know uh it in every way since we're not omniscient uh, we figure things out as we go and in many respects it's the market that's going to figure figure things out at the moment we have social media platforms that are dominated by a certain political ideology. Um, they create algorithms that are steeped in social justice linguistics and that come down unevenly on one side uh, while leaving another vicious side, uh, you know, uh, un unjustly uh, alone and, and uh, laissez-faire with them. And, uh, and so I think the market is starting to find Minds, Gabs, Parler, other solutions to the disingenuousness that's going on with these bigger social media platforms. I think it's in their interests if you came to them with a 
with a model, say objective, uh, objective uh, rules that say this is what constitutes uh, illegal speech, so to speak, the, the, the thing that trespasses upon the First Amendment. Instead of instead of um, you know their their algorithms that are informed by political prejudices, um, I think they would be I think they would find it in their market interest to be to to appear at least to be fair uh, and to hold objective standards. So um, we think part of that is to get the universal um, uh, verification across and and then to get the social media platforms to agree on that. So that really people feel the sting, the pinch when they're doing something, when they're doing something evil, and and and, and I think we got to get this hate speech stuff out of the picture. Hate speech is a, it's a completely subject subjectivistic orientation towards law, uh, and no human being should be subjected to uh, a law that can be interpreted five different ways with five different people. It's got to be clear, objective damages. Um, hate is stupid. It's bad. And, and, and especially against innocent people it's okay to to hate you know bad people who objectively fuck people up uh, that's that seems normal but to con to consider hate in and of itself uh as a crime is to is to consider thoughts and intentions in a way that is impossible for us to determine objectively so we got to get that out of the picture because that's what's in part informing these really off and unjust uh, notions of what should be deplatformed and what shouldn't. And 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 Alan, I'm I'm Jewish myself. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of Gal Gadot. Okay, you know she's played Wonder Woman. She's played a number of roles. She's getting bullied like no other online. And it's ironic. And obviously, I don't know her personally, but it's ironic because many individuals online don't like her, hate her, have made up lies, thinking she is anti one culture because she views uh her politics differently why she served on the idf for some uh, some time the israeli defense force well mm -hmm. if you're serving with the idf you're going to pick up you know a different kind of mindset uh, kind of that wartime kind of battle that strategic mindset but because she has that mindset she views certain things and by definition these trolls think well she automatically hates one side or another side so it doesn't matter what your views are it's an interesting one to 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 look at but that's just one example you know um, my opinion which uh you know matters just just as as little as everybody else on the internet but my opinion is that People need to have the freedom to think what they want as long as they're not harming somebody else. If you are actively trying to harm somebody else, get the fuck out. Uh, otherwise, say whatever you want. Uh, and that's, uh, again, that's, that's my personal opinion. I will disagree with them, absolutely. But I think we've gotten to a point where people can't talk to each other anymore because there is no middle ground at all. It's How black do we learn? or white. It's black right. or white. That's it. How, how do we well, learn about each other's uh, point of view if we're not able to put away our point of view long enough to hear somebody else out? I, I don't understand how that works, but doesn't that get to education? And maybe that's what you're going through with your docu-series of highlighting uh, that and highlighting the effect and highlighting the fact that some people are committing suicide because of it and get people to start thinking differently and have as a society have certain triggers and certain mechanisms that allow us to grow up. Many people don't think cyberbullying is real or legitimate enough to be considered a crime. Um, most states have some form of, of an electronic harassment law. Mm -hmm. um, I believe the number, uh, don't quote me, but last time I checked or earlier this week, I believe it's 47 or 48 states have some form of electronic harassment laws. <clears throat> Out of that 47 or 48, 44 states have a criminal provision for cyberbullying. The problem with that is that the criminal provision is a slap on the wrist. There's no real, uh, there's no real effect, right? It's kind of like, don't do that. That's bad. Here's a hundred dollar fine. Stop it. Okay. 
um, education, as you said, very important. So with what we're trying to do is on many levels, humanize these stories, of course, with the permission of victims who feel that they don't have a voice, they can't express their opinions, or don't feel safe enough to do it without support in some number or by, you know, an individual just like Mark having his support. That speaks wonders, okay? So by humanizing these stories, some people are visual learners. Some people can see a documentary on Taylor Swift or uh, Billie Eilish or Ariana Grande be like, oh my God, wow, there's really, or Paris Hilton that just came out, you know? Wow, you know, I just, they come off a certain way, but I didn't know all this stuff. Well, A, due diligence, you didn't read, you never cared to ask or look it up. So by making people aware, some people are able to see and be like, wow, I really didn't know people did that or went to that extreme because sticks and stones is one of our biggest lies. Words do hurt words do kill. So by educating and informing people that this is happening, that's the, in my opinion, one of the most important steps. You know, I teach it in my law course. I'm rebuilding a newer curriculum for next semester out in Ohio for when mm -hmm. I start teaching virtually again on incorporating real life uh, stories, you know, and, you know, Mark, I'll, I'll turn it over to you if you have anything to say, but it, Educating is important, making people aware and seeing it, hearing it uh, in terms of accountability. Maybe what Facebook or Instagram or people need is, oh, wow, I remember seeing that on, you know, that docuseries, that that user, that, you know, uh, 123 hater or at 123 hater keeps bugging people and saying really nasty stuff. We have to block them, not because they're a public figure, but they are a public problem for yeah community at large. Mark, I'll turn it over to you if, if there's anything you want to add. I mean, I, I have issues with the the sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me and words hurt, words kill. Uh, it, it, it falls too narrowly within the scope of social justice uh, language that I think is part of the problem. I mean, it's it's words kill when when um, when they're 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 proposing when they're lies. They're, they kill when they're in, when they're affecting your life because other people are believing the lies. That's that's when they when they hurt you. Somebody calling you names or being hateful is somebody you can block and get out of your life, and it, it doesn't matter. Um, I think the more that we that we marginalize reason as a means of dealing with one another and dealing with the world, and place emotionalism first and call it emotional reasoning, the less the less there will the less space there will be for us to connect with one another and and figure out what the heck reality is all about because all we'll have is our feelings <clears throat> and that's sort of the way the culture is going the culture is going away from objectivity and logic which it's now considering part of the patriarchal patriarchal dominance structure and going to lived experience as as being as being a legitimate form of knowledge um, and that is now superseding logic so if my lived experience is that you're a jerk off and you deserve to be destroyed because mm -hmm. i hate what you say um well then i have a right to act on that additionally morality is is shifting such not even so subtly from a system of values that an individual follows him or herself to for to live the type of life that they think is appropriate to placing all all moral responsibility on another um so it's the other who determines what and how i act and what i do as opposed to a value set that's clear hopefully rational determined by reality by needs all that kind of stuff um and so the more we shift away the, the more we get into emotionalism and away from reason of course the more impact words are going to have um but you know i think i think sticking to objective definitions and keeping hurt to what objectively hurts you know like a, a thousand fans not so not fans but a thousand people getting up a change.org petition to have me fired from all of my jobs filled with lies filled with lies now that is harmful 
And for them to continuously pass these lies down the, the road, um, it, be, it, it becomes, it's not gossip anymore. It's now you're deliberately trying to hurt me and they make no bones about it online. They're trying to hurt me. Um, they, and they, they excuse themselves by saying, oh, it's not, it's, I'm not hurting you and, you know, whatever, or you deserve it because, you know, you're on this level of the hierarchy and I'm down here and I can do anything I want. And that's just it, it's this public figure exception to defamation, which we're all familiar with. In short, public figures have a very difficult time uh, defending against defamation. Why? Because they voluntarily place themselves in the public eye. And to some extent, that's true. But to Mark's point, what happens when objective harms to a public figure, even in tweets, even a change.org petition, or people that are trying to bring down our Kickstarter, do something to the extent that impairs a business opportunity, uh, a business relationship, or one's own world, right? Um, there need, in my opinion, there needs to be a new or a even more limited exception to public figures bringing a defamation action, especially when it comes to these objective arms this all or nothing of well you're a public figure get you know suck it up that's what you asked for nobody asks hey, nobody and now and nowadays asks. i mean and some of these laws might have been created in the days when the media was a bit of an establishment and it was a limited establishment uh you know information was bottlenecked through these folks and and came at us from uh, three directions you know and a few journals now everybody is a potential journalist everybody is a purveyor of information everybody's in the public eye now um, and some of them are doing this to, to deliberately get fame by defaming others. They're, they're be, they like infamy. So, hey, you're a public figure too now. You're, on the, you're, here, you're in the social world now along with me. Get a verification and let's see what that does. I, I like it. And by the way, uh, Andrew, to your point, I think the idea of the public figure was that what happens to them is in a matter of public interest. Uh, whereas Mark uh, trying or they trying to get Mark to lose jobs has nothing to do with public interest at all. Bingo. Oh, it, it, it's it's Mark's livelihood. Uh, Gina Carano, I think, is going through uh, through uh, stuff right now with I I am uneducated in this in this regard, but this is the snippets that I read that people are trying to get her fired from the uh, um, from the Mandalorian because of what she's tweeting about um, about trans people. Um, even, uh, this is my stand on it, even if she is uh, against trans people, those, uh, those comments, well, I will disagree with, but they have nothing to do with me appreciating her work as an actor on a show that I enjoy. Those are two separate things. Are we not educated or intelligent enough to separate the person from the craft, do we not? I mean, it doesn't even take an epistemological, uh, a lot of epistemological work to do that. I love, I love artists who I know feel totally differently than me about about the world. We have completely different ways of looking at the world. I wouldn't think for one second of not hiring them right. because because of their political point of view, even even if they're communists. And I I despise communists. I've tried to talk them out of it, like I would. Like I would, you know, a drug addict or somebody who does something terrible to their body every day or to their mind. Um, but I, I certainly would not hire them if they're good at what they do. They're good at what they do. And talents are talents. And the problem, and Mark, this even goes into your fan base, is people, and you're one of many, people have a hard time separating Mark Pellegrino from Lucifer on Supernatural. Or people think that, because he plays Lucifer on Supernatural, he must be a piece of shit. He's not, right? And it's this false reality we live in, and that, again, the check marks, going back to that, mm-hmm. going back to the way Parler does it, you can still have that blue check mark if you are a media journalist or a news network. Maybe there's a green check mark or a green badge for somebody who is a, a known environmental activist, or maybe for us, a red badge for anti-bullying activists. There are so many different layers of verification. Mm-hmm. It's not an all or nothing. 
and our laws need to change. Whatever it is, they know who you are, and it's and and your identity is linked. Like people know who I am, and that gives them that gives them the freedom to attack me and then disappear in the crowd. So yeah, that's not okay. Um, thank you guys. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, please continue with uh, with your fight. We need this. We're gonna link uh, you know the Kickstarter below. Uh, everybody who's watching, if you feel like you uh, wish to support, please go ahead and click that. And just as a social experiment, I, I wanted to show to people that, you know, here we have three people, three different, uh, you know, generate, not generations, but three different age groups, different backgrounds. There are things I know we disagree, you know, politically and other things on, and we're able to have an intelligent conversation. Um, that's what we all should be striving for, not the opposite. So thank you, uh, Mark. Thank you. thank you, Andrew, for coming. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thank Alan. you for having me and thank you for having us. And this is a wonderful show and there should be more shows like this that provoke thought. And, you know, Mark and I, you and I differ on quite a bit, but we're able to have that conversation. There's always something to be learned on both sides. And it doesn't matter if somebody says, oh, you're right or, oh, you're wrong. It's the mere fact that somebody is just willing to listen, to process it. If they go back to their life, so be it. But they heard. And thank you. Hey, quick, quickly, Alan, I just want to give a plug to Peter Bogosian's book, How to Have Impossible Conversations. I think everybody should read that by Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay. Uh, it's a great how-to, not just with people who would disagree with you politically, but you know, you can even bring it into your personal life and have the most difficult conversations with people you love and actually survive. So great book. Nice. Thank That's you. Where I'm ending it. We're, we're going to link that? it. Uh, we're going to link it below the video as well, so people go check that out. And uh, folks, thanks, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of The Love of Acting. We know you thanks. love it as much as we do, and uh, we appreciate you watching. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you.